faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. My name is Molly. I'm your student ministry coordinator. And I'm just really excited to get to dive in tonight with what I feel like God wants to talk about. So are you guys ready? All right. Perfect. So we just finished a series called Head in the Clouds. And it was such a good series. I always say, like, when we finish, like, that was the best series ever. And I say that in truth, but I really do feel like this series in particular, like, I think it's going to be one that I go back to a lot. Because one of the things I really liked about the series is that it talks about we have to take a bird's eye view when we think about scripture sometimes. Sometimes we get so narrow and focused that we miss things. But when we step back, we realize it's not just a bunch of random stories that God just happened to put together. It's one story, right? And God can be seen in all parts of it. It reveals, all of scripture reveals his person, his character, his plan, and his people. All of scripture, from the beginning of it, to the middle of it, to the end of it, all of it, you can see God in it. And so I really, really liked um, the series that we just finished because that stood out to me. And I feel like it stood out to me because I feel like God has been kind of stirring that in my own heart anyway, in my own devotion. Because I realize, like, sometimes sitting down doing devotion, like, you get distracted by, you know, just like the pressing needs of your personal life. And sometimes I can just be thinking about that and get so focused that, Like, I completely miss what I'm reading because I'm just, like, looking at this one situation. Or I I don't understand the culture of, like, the context I'm reading. And so I can miss God a lot of times. And so I feel like even in my own life, God challenged me this year just to, like, remember that. Like, take a step back and, like, I'm in all of this. I'm not just Jesus on the cross. Like, I definitely am that. But I'm not just that. Like, I'm not just the times that you see the word God in Scripture. Like, I'm in all of it. Um, And so... In my own life, like, I've been in my uh, Being Transformed journal at the top. Before I read anything, before I write anything, um, at the top I just write, um, where do I see God? With that idea that by the time I finish, like, I want to be able to answer that question because I want to look for him and I want to find him. And what I've been noticing by doing that and by going through this series lately like we just finished is that it's kind of this phenomenon, like, the more you start thinking about that, the more you start seeing it, Right? It's kind of like this car phenomenon. Have you guys ever played the slug bug game? You know, that's like where you see the VW like cars, the Beatles on the road, right? And if you see it first, you call the color and you tell the person sitting next to you like red slug bug Nutawak's on you. And then you get a free punch to your sibling in the arm, right? Okay. Me and uh, Eman, my husband, we play that game because we're competitive. And we play it, though, at a week at a time. And so at the end of the week, whoever wins, they get to, like, you know, have the say. So usually it's like, I want to go to a restaurant because E-Man likes to eat at home. I'm going to go eat. Or I want a foot massage. Or whatever it is. It's always me. I always win, so I'm the one who gets to say it. But we really like that game. But what I realized in that game is, like, I am not a car person. So I am not looking at cars. I don't notice, like, I could not tell you any brand right now off the top of my head. Like, I don't know cars. But when you play that game, like, all of a sudden, you will see slug bugs everywhere, right? Like, you turn a corner. They're in a parking lot. They're on the street. They're in this person's, like, driveway. They're everywhere all of a sudden. And it's not, like, just because I played the game, like, magically, this um, 
bug just like appeared out of thin air and I called it into existence. Like it always existed. I just happened to be noticing it all of a sudden. Um, I think that is like what we just talked about with this series is that same idea that the more we start thinking along those lines, the more we start seeing those things. And the reason I say all of that is because what I want to talk to you tonight came out of that. It was this idea that like in my time looking for God, it was just like an idea God brought to my mind. But since then, like I see that everywhere. Every time I read scripture, I see it. Every time like in worship, like I can hear that word or, or I can see it in conversations with people or I see it out in the world. And I don't think it's because it never existed before, but I think my perspective has changed. And suddenly, like, those things are coming out, and I'm seeing um, this in those situations. And so my prayer tonight is that after we talk about it, that the same thing is going to happen to you. That it's going to start bubbling up in you, and you're going to start seeing it everywhere in Scripture. You're going to start hearing it everywhere. Because I think what we're going to talk about tonight is super important in our faith. It's super important in God. Um, in his understanding it and like what we think of God, okay? So are we we down? Are we ready for it tonight? Okay. If you wanna bow your heads, we'll pray real quick and then we'll we'll jump in. God, I just thank you so much for tonight. God, I ask that more than ever before tonight, you would just be seen. I pray that you would just open up our hearts, that we would be able to be tender and soft towards you, that we would really see you, we would see past our assumptions of you, past our misunderstandings of you, or maybe our doubts or our hurts, even if it's like a good stance that we have against you, God, I pray that you would just take us further. I pray that we would just really learn the lesson of this word today, God, and it would just continue to breathe in our spirit throughout the days to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. If you guys are taking notes, you can title this message, the Garden of Delight. All right, and we are going to jump in the Bible if you want to get it out. We're going to start at the very beginning in Genesis 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created. So what that tells me in those five little words before we go any further is a lot of information. What we find out is that there was a beginning because it says, in the beginning. We find out in the beginning, there was God, because it says in the beginning, God. And then we find out that in the beginning, this God did something. And what he did was he created. What that also tells us in those five words is that in order for something to be created, something outside of that had to be available to create it, right? So what it tells me is that the presence, the person the entity that was outside of that creation was not bound by that creation. What I mean by that is, like, if you are a potter and you make a clay pot, you and the clay pot that you just made are not the same thing. You don't have the same rules. You don't have the same boundaries. You don't have the same expectation. Like, even if I make this pot and it looks like a leopard, it will never actually be a leopard, right? It can only be a pot. That's all it can be. The creator on the other end is not bound by those same rules of only having to be a pot. That's not who they are. So the same thing for God. He created creation, so he is not bound or limited in it. The reason that matters is that means he was not bound to create something in a specific way. 
He did not have to, um, he wasn't bound by those rules. He did it how he was able to, which is limitless. And so what he decided to create, when he decided to create it, how he created it, all of that is important. And it all reveals a really big thing about God. So at the very beginning, what we learn is that God existed before the beginning ever was, and he decided to create something. It also tells us that since God was before the beginning, the beginning that this is talking about is not God's beginning. It's our beginning. All of that matters because it says that this is something we have to pay attention to. God decided at this point of the very beginning of scripture to tell us how he formed us, when he formed us, why he formed us, and like his heart behind it. So Genesis 1 describes exactly what he chose to create in this moment. On the first day, he created light. On the second day, he created heaven above and water below. On the third day, he created earth and the sea and vegetation. On the fourth day, he made the sun, the moon, the stars. On the fifth day, he created all the living creatures in the water and all the um, creatures in the sky. On the sixth day, he made living creatures that were on the land, and he made man. And on the seventh day, he created rest. He instituted the Sabbath. Um, Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27, and chapter 2, verse 7, goes into more detail about how he actually made us. Because with every other creation, he spoke it into existence, and it just was. But with man, he, he did it different. He talked within himself, and he said, let us make man in our image. And then we were, and, but he still, when you go into two, it wasn't just that he spoke and we were. But he looked at the dust, and he formed it, and he breathed his spirit into it, and then there was man. And he called man Adam. And then from Adam, he caused Adam to fall asleep. And he took a rib from Adam. And from that rib, he made Eve. So God took extra care to make us. And he, he formed us in a different way. And he put something in us and on us different than anything else. So that's important to remember. Genesis 2 continues with the extra care that God continued to do with his creation. In verse 8 and 10, it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. So I just want to pause because there was a lot in there. And you can read it really fast and it seemed like there's nothing, but there's actually like a lot. What we just found out is that God made a garden. And this was not just like any place. It was super special. In this garden, he put all types of trees. And it said every single one of them was pleasant to the sight. So if you have your Bible, if you want to highlight that, pleasant to the sight. They were all good for food. We also find out that of all these trees, there were some specific ones that got named. There was the tree of life, and there was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then we find out in this garden that there's a river. I want you just to keep it on the back of your head because this is important. Like we talked about, one of the things that God was stirring in me from the series is that God is in everything. So 
this is not by happenstance. Like, this is going to show up again later. So just log that in your head because it's important. So God made man and woman, and he gave them this garden that was pleasant to the sight, and it was pleasant um, to consume. I think sometimes, like, we take that for granted, right? Like, even people who are, like, really into nature, who's, like, you're a nature person, like, you love being outside. Yeah, I like that too, but honestly, like, even when you take moments to, like, enjoy the sunset, like, some of us do that, but we're not literally every second of the day being like, oh, my goodness, that tree is the craziest tree I've ever seen in my life. Like, no one does that. That's kind of weird, but it's because we're used to it. Like, we see those things all the time, right? But you take a child who's, like, never experienced those things, and they, like, the things that you get bored by, they will be so fixated on that for a long time. Like, you put a little bug in their hand, and they'll just stare at it for hours. Like, a weirdo. Like, it's weird. But they are, like, amazed by creation. I think if we really were honest, I think Adam and Eve were probably more childlike than we are. Because think about this. Like, they were the first human beings. God knew it. He created these things. But nobody else was around to tell them, like, oh, yeah, that's a tree. Oh, yeah, that's a bee. That's what we call those. Like, this, everything they looked at was brand new. Every smell they smelled for the first time was new. Like, every sunset they saw, like, it was a new day, and that's crazy. Like, I didn't know days continued on. Like, everything was different and new every time. So it was much more amazing than I think sometimes we, we go through life thinking it. Eden, this garden, was made for delight. It was made to behold and take in and enjoy. Eden, when you look up the word, it actually is literally translated to mean delight. So this garden is literally the garden of delight. God made it so that man could enjoy what he created, that they could look on it and, and it would reflect back to God, that it would say, like, look at everything he has done. And by delighting in creation, they would delight in the creator. The garden was meant for man to delight. The Bible talks about, too, that it wasn't just like he didn't just plant this cool place, like this garden, just so like they could have like a cool vacation spot. Like this was something he wanted to be a part of. He wasn't just sitting back in heaven and observing their interaction. All through scripture in this part, in the middle, it talks about moments where God was like so intimately up close. It says that the spirit of God hovered over the face of the water. God is seen talking one-on-one with Adam in the garden. God was close enough that he could actually take that rib out and make Eve. God was close enough that at one point he brings animals to Adam and he waits to see what Adam's going to name them. That's like up close daily communion fellowship. That's like delighting in one another. The garden was made to delight. The Hebrew word for delight, it means to bend towards, to be inclined towards, to delight or take pleasure in. Our English definition of delight, it means great pleasure. It means to cause or source of great pleasure or extreme pleasure and satisfaction. So when I say, like, it was the garden of delight, what it is is, like, this is supposed to be the most pleasurable thing, like, the most satisfied, the most fantastic thing our minds can wrap our head around. That was what our beginning was meant to be. We were created 
in the garden of delight, to delight in God, with God, and with the things of God. God, in creating the garden and in created us, extended an invitation for us to enjoy him, to take pleasure in him, to delight in him, and to know him. The delight was an invitation to discover the divine. Psalms 19.1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. In delighting with God in his creation, Adam were Adam and Eve, they were given the invitation to learn the nature of God. Through creation, they were learning who he was. Like, this is what he thinks. This is what he likes. This is how he talks to us. This is um, his personality. They were literally learning who God was. That is what delight was offering them in the garden. And as they were learning who God was, they were learning themselves. Because God is who they were made in the image of. The delight of the garden was offering an invitation to learn the divine. The delight was also an invitation for daily devotion. Daily walking in the garden. Daily communing. Like when Adam was with God and they were sitting talking about the names of animals. Like God made a lot of animals. That didn't just happen in five minutes. That was time. That was time together that they were in fellowship and being with each other, just being, right? That's devotion. That's delighting. The delight was an invitation to discipleship. To me, discipleship is it's simply like doing the things of God. So like we just said, God gave Adam this opportunity to be a part of the creation. Like I'm, I think, maybe a little bit more of a control freak than God because if I took all this time to, like, make the stuff, like, I'm not turning it over to anybody to name it. Like, I want that credit. But he let Adam in on it. He was like, I want to see what you're going to name these things. That was an invitation to delight. It was an invitation to be obedient and, and to do the things of God because God's the one who created it. And so he was inviting him into that process. As Adam decided to delight and to obey, he got to practice discipleship. And before it was ever written in Psalms 119.35, Adam got to live it out. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in them. This delight was an invitation to develop wonder. Wonder is a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. It's desire. So they were invited at the very beginning in the garden to be in wonder, to be amazed. It's like the last song we just sang tonight, to behold him, to say, like, he is fantastic. Like, those words are extreme words. They're not passive. They're not like, oh, that's okay. That's pretty good. Like, it's passionate. Like, I'm delighting in God. That was the invitation at the beginning, not for this mediocre walk with God. Like, oh, yeah, we can do this occasionally. Like, we'll meet up every once in a while. But, like, I am so amazed by you. 
Like, you are the first thing on my mind in the morning and the last thing at night. Like, I am amazed by you. That was the invitation in the garden of delight. But our Bibles are pretty thick. They're not just those couple chapters, right? So something happened in the rest of the story. That garden scene didn't just play out the rest of the time. Even though Adam and Eve were offered to delight in God, to be in daily fellowship with him, to be a part of creating and stewarding and caring for creation and partaking in the enjoyment of that, they decided to sin. They turned their delight in God to distrust of God. All of a sudden, they start talking with this snake and let him have this conversation with them where he starts saying, did God really say that? And all of a sudden, this question creates doubt where they used to behold God, where they used to delight in God. Now they're doubting him, all because of what they uh, perspective had changed. I think it's really interesting in me, uh, to me, like, what scripture says about this moment, like how it describes this change from delight to doubt and from delight to distrust. Uh, I feel like Eve had this car phenomenon we talked about at the beginning, right? Because this tree that suddenly seems so appealing to her from this conversation with the snake, it didn't just magically appear when the snake started talking. It wasn't like, oh, let me make this option happen, option B, behind this door, and she's like, let me try it. It was always there at the very beginning. We read that at the start of the message that God said from the beginning, this tree's in the midst. You can have everything else, just don't touch that tree. So why did her delight change? What in that conversation made that tree so appealing all of a sudden? It says that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. But why did that stand out? Because at the beginning of the scripture we just read, or before that, it said every tree was pleasant to the eye. Every tree was good for food. So this tree, even after this conversation, is no different than any other tree. Why is it so appealing all of a sudden? Why is her delight changing? I don't think the tree changed. I don't think it was different. It was her delight. Where God once held her delight, suddenly this tree holds a promise to her that seems greater. All of a sudden, this tree holds something that God apparently has withheld from her. This allowed directional change continue to impact their senses. Um, in chapter 3 of Genesis, it says, Then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The garden started out as a place to delight, to be with God, to fellowship with him, to enjoy him. And all of a sudden, their shift, their perspective has changed at the price of fruit. Where God was the source of delight and wonder, his presence now evoked fear and shame and the desire to hide. Um, my study Bible that I have, it, it talks about it in this way. 
the divine intention was and is that man should have fellowship with God in obedience. Sin came, the essence of which is rebellion against the will of God, and man became separated from God. But why would they choose not to delight in God anymore? What was so different about this tree? What was so appealing where the God who made everything was not enough? I think, like, we can judge them a lot, but I think the reality is they chose not to delight in God for a lot of the same reasons we choose not to delight in God. I think one of those could have been the deception, that we've entertained lies from the enemy and we've called them truth. That's a lot of what our world goes through right now, you know, like, well, if I feel this way, then this is what is truth. Like, my truth, I'm going to live my truth, I'm going to speak my truth. And it sounds good to our ear. It makes sense. Like the statement of, oh, it seemed good and pleasant to the eyes. Like it, it wasn't like it was rotting fruit. Like that would have been like, well, duh, Eve, don't eat that. That's going to kill you. It looked good. So it made sense. Deception will turn our delight from God because we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. I think a lot of us sometimes will walk away from delighting in God because we're discontent. We see fruit elsewhere, and we call it good. It's like the grass is greener situation. You can have the best of everything, but because there's something shiny over here, we, like, turn our attention to that, and we're suddenly unhappy with what God's given us. I think we can become in a place where we stop delighting in God with delayed promises. It says uh, that Eve decided to take the fruit when she saw that it could make her wise in an instant. But the reality is, is that promise was already available to her. In the garden, she got to be with God, who knows everything. And he wasn't withholding from them. He was in daily devotion. So she had available to her in delighting in God the ability to listen to him and learn from him and over time learn things. But she wanted it now. She wanted the promise in her way, and she wanted it all um, in that moment. And so she turned from delighting in God to this opportunity. I think a lot of us maybe will stop delighting in God because of doubt. We play the same song that the serpent sang, like, did God really say that? And we start thinking, like, maybe he's wrong. Maybe he doesn't really understand my situation. Maybe he didn't see this, or maybe he somehow forgot this part of it was happening. And we try and figure it out for God ourselves. I think some of us stop delighting in God because of distraction. Like, it's not that we don't want to follow God, but, like, too many things are around us in life. Too many things are our focus. Like, how many of you guys have ever talked to a snake? Okay, how many of you guys have heard a snake talk back? Very interesting. <laughs> kind of worried about you. <laughs> but to me, it's kind of weird. This is like nowhere else in the Bible, like up to this point, have we seen a snake talk. But it doesn't act like Eve was surprised by this at all or that like maybe she was used to it, maybe she wasn't. I feel like I wouldn't be used to that. So maybe in hearing the snake talk, she got distracted and was like, what is this? And, and all of a sudden it opened up this whole conversation that she normally wouldn't be having. 
But because she didn't stop it and turn her gaze back to God and delight back to God, that distraction took her off course. I think ultimately why a lot of us don't delight in God is because we don't know him. We don't really know him. We know about him. We know like three facts, three moments that somebody quoted to us one time, but like we don't know him. And so we stop delighting. The continued consequence of this new chosen delight was removal of Adam and Eve from the garden, the garden of delight. And this decision didn't just impact them. It didn't just stop there. It continued on with their kids. The Bible talks about that a little bit of time goes by, and then they have two sons. They have Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel are like any other brother. They have rivalries. They have differences. But Cain gets it really in him where he's jealous and he's angry and he doesn't submit it to God. And, and instead what he ends up doing is he murders his brother. And God confronts him with that. And he's like, I didn't do it. I don't know what you're talking about. He doubles down in his sin and he continues to hide like his father before him. And the reaction or the cost of that was Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east side of the Eden. Because mankind had stopped delighting in God, the place of wonder and delight and pleasure was getting further and further away, like geographically and spiritually. They were getting further from this garden of delight. If you remember, Eden literally means the place of pleasure and delight, a place to wonder. But Nod is the opposite. It literally translates to mean wanderer. It came to be called the place outside the presence of God. Early commentators talk about Nod, or like they describe it as the opposite of Eden. So like where Eden means joy and fellowship and delight and beholding, Nod means trembling. It means wandering. It means pain. It's not just that when we stop delighting in God and delight in something else that it's like an equal trade-off, that it's just like the difference of eating Skittles or Starburst, like it's just a different candy. It's not that at all. It's not comparable. When you take your delight from God and apply it to anything else, it does not compare. It's as different as being in Eden, a place of wonder, and being in Nod, a place of wandering. It's so different, and it's so outside of God's plan and purpose. God created the garden, and he decided to put us in it. And he decided to name it and live in it and purpose it to be something of delight. So that was his desire for us, was to delight. But Adam and Eve changed what they delighted in. The question is, does God? Did he have this plan in the garden in the beginning of the Bible, but because we messed up, like, plan scratched and we do something else? God didn't change. Despite man's sin, his desire has not changed. This is evident in that before the consequence could be carried out for Adam and Eve, before that ever happened for them or for Cain and Abel, God prophetically started talking about, like, his plan for redemption. In Genesis chapter 3, it says, And I, God, will put enmity between you, talking to the snake or the devil, and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This was a prophecy about Jesus way before Jesus ever comes on the scene. 
So at the beginning, God says, like, my plan, my desire is to delight. It gets messed up, but he holds to that this is still my plan. We see this plan still the purpose, still the desire, all the way at the end of the Bible. In Revelations chapter 21, 1 through 6, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. The holy city of Jerusalem was coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. It is done. I, God, am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of living water of life freely to him who thirsts. The promise for a redeemed delight at the very end of the Bible is God is saying, like, I'm that tree of life. That tree of life I started at the beginning, like, that's going to be me. That flowing river that was in the garden, that's me. I'm the place of delight. The plan of restored delight happened in the beginning, and it's also at the end of Scripture. But what about the middle? Like, is this just, like, how it starts, and eventually one day in heaven we'll get there? But, like, in the meantime, we just figure it out, or we just kind of enjoy God? Like, on a Sunday and on a Wednesday? That's not it. The plan for restored delight is also available in the middle because of Jesus. Throughout the middle, we see God's desire for us to delight in him in verses like Psalms 37, 4 that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 74 says, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you and let those who love your salvation sing continually. Let God be glorified. Throughout the middle, we also see that it's not just God wanting us to delight in him, but God actually wants to delight in us and the things he made. You see that in verses like Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with love. He will rejoice after you with singing. Psalms 147.11 says that the Lord takes pleasure and those who fear him, and those who hope in his mercy. The middle also shows that God was reclaiming this garden of delight through Jesus. In John 4, 14, it says, But whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. John seven thirty nine says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. John 3.16 talks about that God gave his only son to die on a tree to give up his life so that we could have everlasting life. The middle talks about just as much as the beginning and the ending, that God's desire is for delight. All of that together says beginning, middle, end, just like we, we talked about in the last series, that God is in all of it, and the plan is the same in all of it. The plan is for us to delight. The garden offers delight just in the actual presence of the garden and God. Heaven promises delight, and the middle through Jesus is our assurance that we can experience delight now. 
when I choose in the middle, in between heaven and in between the garden, when I choose to do it now and not just like coast, not just show up to church every once in a while, but it's like be intentional and to put God on the throne as the most amazing thing and delight in him. What I'm doing is I'm like saying, I believe you. I believe you were the God in the beginning. I believe you're the God in the end. And like this is not wasted time in space. This stuff matters. And like how I treat you in this space matters. How we exist together matters. It lives out Psalms, uh, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates on it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. God wants to redeem that garden of delight in you in us, that we would house that garden, that we would be that, that everywhere we go, delight would be in us and it would move through us and people would see like the goodness of God because you're delighting in him, you're beholding him, you're lifting him up. The delight is meant for us now. All of scripture reveals God's plan. Every single thing, not just the things we talked about tonight, but all of it is to delight in us. He sent Jesus on the cross so we could be connected again. He sent Jesus as a baby so we could be connected again. Like all of it is weaved in and out where God wants to delight. He wants us to look to him and delight in him. And he wants to be able to delight in us as well. The question I think tonight, if the altar team wants to come, is this, that are you delighting in him? Have you decided to wonder and look at God in awe and behold him and think about your own life. Think about the fact that, like, you just woke up breathing today. We, we minimize that. But, like, that's huge. Some people did not do that today. But you did. God decided to give you this time and space. He thought something of you that he decided to create you. He could have created anybody. And he, he decided to create you. He could love anything, and he decides to love you. Are you wondering about that? Are you in awe of that? Are you beholding that? Or are you wandering? Have you fixed your delight on Christ, or have you become distracted? Has your delight been deceived? Have you given it to another? Are you believing a lie that it's more desirable than anything God can give you? If you guys want to go ahead and stand up on your feet, I just want everyone to kind of look inside, introspective, and just ask these questions. I think when we talk about delight, we didn't really get into practically what that looks like because I don't think, like, that's necessarily the point. I think it's the heart posture. Delight could look like a lot of things. It can look like reading your Bible. It can look like praying. It can look like devotion. It can look like just walking in nature and just giving God credit for what he did. Delight can look like a lot of things, but I think tonight, simply, like, it's just a decision. It's a decision to say, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to delight. I think a lot of us, honestly, everyone in this room could come down to the altar 
Um, leaders, you guys can make your way down. But you could come down because we could all behold God better than we are right now. We could all give him more. But I think some of us are going to be concerned that we don't fit the bill for this or, or maybe like we haven't worked up to this. But God started this in the beginning before anybody did anything. So this isn't something that you have to earn. This is just who you are. This is how you were created. You were created to delight. So I think the reality is, is probably you are going to fall into one of three things tonight. So if you just want to kind of close your eyes, don't look around. Just kind of, I want you to look inward right now and just have a conversation between yourself and God. Maybe tonight you see yourself in Eve. You at one time delighted in God. Like you behold, beheld him. You thought he was amazing. You were enraptured with him. Like you were so amazed and so in love with God. But you were distracted. You were deceived. Something took your gaze. And you're not delighting in God anymore. You've given it to something else. But tonight, like, you want to repent. You want to come back to that and, and to give that back to where it deserves. I think there's an invitation for you tonight to come up and to do that, to repent before God and say, God, I'm sorry. I, I want to delight in you. I'm sorry that I haven't. I think some of you may fall into the camp that, like, I do want to delight, and I am delighting in God, but also it's been difficult to do that because I'm walking through things in life or, or I'm trying to read the word and I just don't see him in it. That you're trying to love God and you're trying to do things, but you're struggling. That you're struggling to see him. You're struggling to be able to lift him up in order to love him. I think there's an invitation for you tonight to come and say, God, like this is my desire. You said that you created me to delight in you. You said that, and I want that. So God, honor your word in my life. Help me to see you. Help me to behold you. Help me to know you in truth. And I think the last group is that you aren't necessarily struggling with delighting in God. Like you love God, and you're trying, and you're, you're pursuing him, and you're beholding him, and you adore him, and you love him. But what you can't wrap your head around is the fact that he delights in you. That God is not passive with you. God is not expecting a one-way relationship where you give him all of your love and he sits back. That he, you can't wrap your head around the fact that he loves you way more. And tonight there's an invitation for you to come down and to experience that. To get to come down and just let God, like, unload his love for you on you that tonight like that's what you're struggling with and that's where you need help with and delighting that you need to know that God delights in you if you fall in any of those things or if you have any other prayer need God delights in you and he wants to meet you tonight so if you have any of that you can make your way down with one of our leaders they'd be glad to pray with you as they're coming, I'm just going to pray, and I just want to spend time at the altar praying, just delighting in God. And then after I pray, Bonnie's going to lead us in worship, where we're just going to behold God a little bit tonight. We're going to delight in Him a little bit.